Ashreinu matrif chelkeinu umanoyim goyr aleinu. 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 So thank you for joining. Uh, it's nice to be back at the podium at Mayan. Um, was out for a little journey, and now I'm back, and we're ready to roll. Um, first of all, tonight's class has not been sponsored. Um, I didn't even get a chance to look at my old lists of people who have yard sites, birthdays, whatever. So if anybody has something special and you're listening to this year, or if you just want a great schus of spreading chasidus and godly light in the world, um, there's your chance. You can let me know after the class. We'll add it. If you want, we'll add it to the website. Okay, just starting. We'll add it to the website. You'll have your uh, the dedication there, the yard site, or whatever it is. Uh, and uh, yeah, that'd be great. Tonight is also the Shloshim, or today was the Shloshim of Rabbi Avram. I spoke a lot about him, and I want to mention him again, Rabbi Maron Ben um, Ben Rabbi Yitzchak. May this be as chosve as neshama. Okay, um, we are now in the week of Shivasa Betamuz. It's going to be the 17th of Thomas, beginning the three weeks. And uh, the rabbis are discussing whether people should fast because of the, there is a certain weakened condition, people at our higher risk because of the virus. So there's a debate whether we should fast. And you know, different rabbis, different opinions, how, what, where, and when, how much, who should fast. Everybody should fast uh, except those that are on higher level risk. And I don't know, you can check it out. I'm not a halachic authority. What I do want to say is the fa very fact that the fast is this year being um, weakened. The fact that some Jews are not going to fast, a lot of Jews are not going to fast, and they shouldn't fast. Halachically means that the fast is being broken, which is a good sign because these, these fasts are not meant to remain fast. They're meant to become holidays. So this year, the fact that they're already being broken is a sign that uh, they're, not, they're not firm and strong. The gullus isn't firm. What, what that really means is the fast represents the exile. The exile is breaking, it's cracking, it's falling apart. Hopefully by the time Thursday comes, we won't have to fast at all. No one will have to fast and it will be a great simcha and a great joy. Um, now a great, um, so being that we're coming to general to this three week period of time, let's try to focus in on the reasons to make for Hashem to redeem the Jewish people, which is really long overdue, we don't need any reasons. But it would be nice to focus in on the greatness of Israel, the greatness of the Jewish people. How high we are, how godly we are, how powerful we are in the sense that we're so one with Hashem. And therefore we can demand and we can decide that enough is enough. We've been through enough mishigas, enough craziness. Who remember such a crazy year like this year? It's enough, it's enough. We have all the, we have all the signs of Mashiach already. We're already way overdue. It's time for the giyul, it's time for the redemption. No excuses anymore. So we'd like to talk about the depth, really uncover the depth of the myla, the quality and the greatness of our connection to Hashem 
in a way that perhaps we haven't uh, yet exposed in the classes. We did speak many classes on the greatness of Jewish neshamis and of souls, but a certain amkos, a certain depth related to Pashas Pinchas, which we derive from Pashas Pinchas. Also connected to the fact that this week, Thursday, which is Shavas um the fast day of Shavas Batamus, has another reason for it to be canceled. In addition to the fact that we're living in a time of what we have, what's called the cancel culture. People want to cancel everything, and everything that is begashmias, everything, I'm sorry, everything that's happening in the physical world, even things that maybe belong to the realm of the unholy, and maybe uh, the way it is manifesting in many ways is in a very destructive manner of destroying a lot of good things, uh, and, uh, you know, tearing down statues, destroying an entire history of the most amazing nation. Yes, you know, every, 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 every people, this development, the world is development, so obviously there are certain flaws, but it doesn't take away the greatness of these individuals. But we're calling it cancel culture, and I think that's related to because we're living in a period of time. Everything you're seeing that's happening in the klipa, in the shell, is a sign that that's the fruit that's brewing inside. We are right now at the time of cancel culture. The cancel is we're canceling the exile, we're canceling the past in the sense that we're, you know, we're, we're, it's, it's hard for us to make the transition to transition from the old life, the exile life, to the Gula life, to the new life, the redemption life. So we need to hit cancel. We, you know, we need to wipe the, the you know, wipe the slate clean. Uh, start a complete new existence, a whole new reality. So the cancel culture on the outside is an indication that in the Pneumius it's time for the canceling. Canceling of everything of all darkness, canceling of exile, canceling of all suffering. But to help cancel, cancel the fasts. As we spoke earlier, the rabbis are discussing to what degree to cancel the fast this year. Um, not to help in that canceling is this year is an amazing thing. We're concluding the book of Rambam. As we know, the Lubavitcher Rebbe instituted that Jews should study the entire oral law every year. Amazing institution. When you learn the book of Rambam, which is, gathers all the halachis of Torah, you get to learn the entire Torah Shabbat Peth. You're learning Gemara, Dafayomi, for instance, it takes seven and a half years. And even then, you're not learning halacha, you're learning just uh, the outline of a whole bunch of ideas, which doesn't, unless you're, you know, you learn Shulchan Aruch, you, you, you don't really have the halacha, you just have difference of opinions and so on and so forth. Uh, it's called learning the whole Torah if you learn Shas, but not the halacha element of Torah which means the conclusion, the, 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 as it applies to action. You're learning Rambam, now even though we don't paskin like Rambam, the Allah is not always like Rambam, but still the Rambam is a very significant posik. So even if the, we don't necessarily all follow the Rambam in all cases, but you're still learning Psak Halacha, which means final verdict of Jewish law, of the entire, um, the entire Jewish law when you learn the book of Ramam. So the Rebbe instituted that we should learn three chapters a day in order to finish the entire book of Ramam. And the Rebbe gave another method for those who can't, don't have the ability to study three chapters a day, can study one chapter and finish it in three years. But those who finish it in three years finish it the exact same day as those who finish it in one year. So it's only that those who finish it yearly have a yearly seum. Those who, do, who are on the slower track, the three-year track, finish it in three years, but it's like finishing exactly on the same day. This is one of the years in which both tracks are completing the book. So it's a good time to start learning Maimonides, start learning Rambam. And we know the Rambam, when you finish the entire Torah, 
Torah brings redemption to the world. Torah fixes the world. Torah corrects the world. Torah reveals the godliness of the world, which is Mashiach. So the conclusion of the book of Rambam, right to the beginning of Shavasa B'Tamuz, is a segula to knock off the Golas completely. It says, Beferish in the Pasuk, Tzion, Bemishpat Zion, Tzion, Yerushalayim, the Beis Amigdash, with Mishpat, it's going to be redeemed. Mishpat is referring to halachis of Torah, it's called Mishpat. So with Mishpat, with the laws of Torah, we're going to be redeemed. So we have all, everything is ready for Thursday, for the redemption to happen. But we on our end, prepare ourselves, take upon yourself to learn Rambam, and I give everybody a good idea, if you want to have to be considered that you learned the entire Rambam, maybe you weren't inspired, maybe you weren't exposed, maybe you, whatever reason, you were busy, your mind was, you, you didn't pay attention to this gewaldige, uh, this awesome um, um, study uh, program. But you're hearing about it tonight. And today, we started learning the laws of kings, which is the last laws of Maimonides in Rambam. So you say, listen, hey, I'm starting today. Don't wait till, sun, till th- Thursday. Start today. Do the siyam, learn the laws of kings. Laws of kings is the conclusion of all of Torah, because all of Torah leads to the revelation of God's kingship through Mashiach, which is the conclusion of the laws of kings, of Hilchus Malachim. So it's going to be considered as if you learned the entire Torah, at least you got the siyam. And then you'll make a commitment to start all over on Thursday. I never used to learn Rambam. It was a hard thing for me. I, I, I considered myself a Chabadnik, a Lubavitcher. I couldn't get myself to learn Rambam. The last few years I started learning it. And um, as my Mashiach fervor got, got uh, as I got more turned on to Mashiach, I, 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 it came along with the learning of Maimonides, of learning Rambam. And I have to say, oh my God, I said it Thursday, uh, by the, uh, I think by the Fabrengen, but since I started learning Rambam, I've seen, I'm telling you, I'm telling everybody, this is the biggest secret for Parnassa, for livelihood. I used to have so much stress running the center. I used to not know how I'm going to pay the next bill. I used to sit and I had anxiety and I had like, that was hard. It was difficult and I was busy figuring out a fundraise. Since I started learning Rambam, and thank God, I'm able to lately, especially more and more and more, mamish, make it like etched in stone. I don't go to sleep until I finish it, no matter what. I'm telling you, the miracles that have been happening is like unbelievable, unbelievable, in the sense that it's, it's, I can't explain rationally, logically, how I keep this place open, how the rent gets paid, and how uh, I have zero, I, I, no explanation. I've given up on fundraising a long time ago, meaning I mentioned sponsorships, and thank God, the Jews on their own, God inspires them. And, uh, you know, we have a Rebbe, and the Rebbe sparks people's neshamas to, to have an inspiration to give. And I know without me looking for it. But again, since I started learning Rambam, every bit of stress went away, at least regarding Parnassa. So I would give everybody, you want, instead of, when you need the anxiety, instead of running after your Parnassa all day long, make a commitment to study Rambam, and I guarantee you, this is for me, take it from me. It's, I'm saying it only because the Rebbe said it. It's, it's, it's unbelievable sekula for Parnassa. Take a long lorchitas as well. It's telling you, it's it, it, it's bodic. I mean, as much as I can, I can't. I can, as much as I'm regarding my life, it's literally, I can't even tell you. It's it's, it's a different world. It's a different reality. Uh, it's 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 um, uh, it's 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 fantastic. So we should learn Rambam now. So what I would like to do today is one of the talks of the Rebbe this week's parsha is a siyum of Rambam. 
but not the Siyam of Rambam in the book of Mishneh Torah, but, but rather, by the way, Thursday, we're going to have, being the Thursday Shavasa Tammuz, we are going to have at Mayon a Siyam of Rambam. My son-in-law, Rabbi Mendel Zirkind, is going to give over a, a talk on Rambam and on the Siyam of Rambam, and I will as well. So it's me and my son-in-law, Rabbi Zirkin, and for all of you who need, uh, I don't know, those who know Rabbi Zirkin and, and have heard him, and I'll give you, while I was driving, I just did a trip, as everybody listening, I took a trip, a cross-country trip, back and forth, a lot of hours in the car. Uh, the one sheer I listened to, I could have listened to more, but Baruch Hashem, my wife was good company, we did some music, some this, I didn't have a, um, the one sheer that I listened to was my son-in-law's sheer, his Fabrengen of Gimel Tamas that he gave over here. Two hours, unbelievable. It's fantastic. It's on our website. It's called Gimel Tamas Fabrengen. It's a must listen to. Just a clarification of the time that we're in, the generation that we're in, what unique avod that is actually deeply connected to what we're going to talk about today. Highly recommended. Anyways, Thursday we're going to have a CM of the Rambam. We're going to do an official conclusion of Rambam. Um, today, I also want to do a CM on Rambam, but this time it's not on the book of Mishneh Torah, which is the book of law, but on the book of Sefer HaMitzvahs. Yeah, the book of the Rambam um, collected and organized all the 613 commandments. 248 positive commandments and the 365 prohibit, pro, prohibitive commandments. There's arguments amongst the rabbis, amongst the great uh, scholars, on how you get to 613. The sages say there are 613 commandments in the Torah. How you get to what is considered a commandment, what's not considered a commandment. So if I, me and you would sit down and try to figure out what's a command, we wouldn't get necessarily to 613. But these great rabbi, these great scholars, they were able to figure out um, what is considered a commandment, what should be counted, what should not be counted, and so on and so forth. And, and again, there's difference of opinion. Certain things are counted in one, According to one scholar, it's count, according to one of the rabbis, it's considered a, a mitzvah. According to others, meaning it's considered as one of the 613. Of course, that's not counted for a particular reason, but they count something else. Anyways, the Rambam um, compiles that list. And it's an, an individual book. It's in the beginning of Sefer Mishneh Torah. It's printed over there, Sefer HaMitzvah. The Rebbe, when he instituted that people should study a chapter or three chapters of Rambam, gave a third a third program or a third option those who can't study the laws at least learn the book of mitzvahs and again that too is connected to the study of the laws I'm not going to get into exactly how that is but you learn the mitzvah that is corresponding to the laws that are being learned in the Mishnah Torah so Pashas Pinchas there is a fascinating talk in Lakuti Sichas which I would like to share with you today on on the conclusion of the mitzvahs of the Torah, of Sefer mitzvahs, And the reason why it's in Parshas Pinchas because it's connected to a mitzvah that's in Parshas Pinchas. Now even though Parshas Pinchas is not the end of the Torah, Parshas Pinchas is closer to the end. It's in the book of Numbers, in Bamidbar. It's the third to the last in Bamidbar. And in a sense we say very close to the end of the Torah because Sefer Devarim, Deuteronomy, is just a repetition. It's called Mishneh Torah. It's a repet the same name like Rambam. It's a repetition. It's a chazara for the Torah. Um, yet, um, parshas, but still, it's not the end of the Torah. 
But yet the Rambam chooses a mitzvah in Parshas Pinchas to be considered the last mitzvah. When I say the last mitzvah, it means of the mitzvah saseh, which means the active mitzvahs. There's two types of mitzvahs. There's prohibitive commandments, and then there is the action, a mitzvah that requires an action called active mitzvahs. Sometimes they refer to it as positive mitzvahs. All mitzvahs are positive. They're all commandments, so they're all positive. So I don't like to use that term so much. Rather, let's use the term a mitzvah involving an action, a de- a, a something to do as opposed to a not do or refraining. So the Rambam, when he lists, and we know the sages say 248 commandments corresponding to the 248 limbs of a person. So when the Rambam puts together that list, Maimonides counts the last mitzvah of the 248. I'll read it for you over here. Sefer HaMitzvahs. I have it in Mishnah Torah. Sefer HaMitzvahs. HaMitzvah HaRamach. The mitzvah of the 248th commandment. Hu HaToyra Shehiranu Bedinei Nachlois. Is that the Torah is teaching us the laws of inheritance? That means the law, meaning to to follow the Torah's instructions regarding inheritance. And where does it? Where is this mitzvah to be found? The instructions and the guidance of the Torah regarding inheritance. Well, the Parshas Pinchas the Rambam says, Ishkiyamus when a person dies, Ubein Ein Loi and he doesn't have a son. So then it says, you look for the next closest relative. In this case, it's the daughter. First it's the male and the male inheritors, then it's the female. And if there's no daughter, then it goes to the brother, and so on and so forth. It's a whole, it's a whole order in which we follow regarding Nachla. Okay. That's the mitzvah. So the Rambam puts this as the last and final mitzvah. Now, in the Torah itself, it's not the last mitzvah. Because in Sefer Devarim, for instance, you have the mitzvah of a king. To appoint a king. It doesn't say that earlier in the Torah. The mitzvah that a king has to write a Sefer Torah. The mitzvah that every Jew should write a Sefer Torah. A king is supposed to have an extra Sefer Torah. Or a lot of mitzvahs regarding war. Um, so many mitzvahs that are mentioned in Devarim and Deuteronomy that I mentioned earlier. Yet the Rambam counts them earlier. The last mitzvah that the Rambam counts as the final mitzvah is the mitzvah of inheritance. Now first of all, what's it doing in Parshas Pinchas? Let me, let me just say, in what context is it mentioned in Parshas Pinchas? Parshas Pinchas is talking about God, the Jewish people are finally at the end of the 40-year track. This is after already the punishment. And they've already made it through 40 years. And at this point already, Aaron and Miriam passed away. We learned already last week in the Torah portion. And all the Jews who were supposed to die, decreed upon after the sin of the spies, that they should die in the desert, they all died. Now we have already a, a generation, the next generation that is ready to go into the land. And Moshe Rabbeinu is you know, just organizing the last things before Moshe was going to die as well. And so over there it says that Hashem starts instructing Moshe about the division of the land. Instructing Moshe, all the instructors, the Jews are going to come into the land and they're going to inherit the land of Eretz Yisrael. So regarding to that, it says a story that the daughters of Tzalafchad, there's this person, his name is Tzalafchad, he's from the family of Menashe, and he had a situation where he died, but he didn't leave over any sons. And according to the understanding of how Nachla worked, how inheritance, the laws of inheritance worked, it was, only, it was only passed over to a male inheritor, not to the females, not to the daughters. So the daughters of Tzalafchad come to Moshe and they object. They say, our father's Nachla, there's no one to take his Nachla, it's going to get lost. No one's to take his, his, his portion in the land. So Moshe goes and speak, consults Hashem and Hashem tells him that when there is no son, it goes to the daughter. 
and, and, and in a continuation to that already, he goes ahead and tells us all, the whole system, the whole order of how Nachlo works. The mitzvah of Nachlo. So that's what it's doing over here in Pashas Pinchas. This is this, in this context. But again, Rambam chooses this as the last mitzvah. So the question we have over here, the order of the Rambam obviously is concise. Now Rambam obviously, as you can see, is not following just, he's not looking cut and paste. He's not looking in the Torah and saying, oh, the first mitzvah, mitzvah. If Rambam would have been doing that, Rambam would have started the first mitzvah is to have children. It's already mentioned in Parshas Bereshis. God commands Adam Arishon, Pruer who have children. Rambam doesn't put that as the first commandment. Um, Rambam puts as the first commandment the mitzvah to believe in God. Anoich Hashem Alekech is the first mitzvah. And then to unify him and so on and so forth. So you see the Rambam is setting up the mitzvahs by a specific order. Now obviously the Rambam sees the mitzvah believing in God as the first mitzvah because as the Rambam himself says in the beginning of Mishnah Torah, the foundation of all foundations and the pillar of all wisdom is to, is to recognize God. And without a belief in God, you have no, no basis for all other commandments. You need a commander in order to have commandments so we can understand why that. So the order of importance, the Rambam puts that as number one. If that's the case, now again, exactly there is no clear um, method to explain all of Rambam, exactly why he put, at least, not, not God forbid that the Rambam didn't have a method, but that we don't know exactly the reasoning and the explanation of exactly the order of the Rambam, how he chose his order. But he definitely did it in a very, very, very meticular, particular and a very meticulous manner, because the Rambam was an extraordinary ordinary orderly person or else he would never have been able to accomplish what he accomplished. Now, if the Rambam then concludes the book of the mitzvahs with the last mitzvah, obviously it doesn't mean that it's the, the least important of all mitzvahs, that's why it's at the end, it's because there's something very significant about this commandment that it belongs in the end. So we need to understand what is the reason why the Rambam chose for the last mitzvah of the Torah to put the mitzvah of Nachla the mitzvah of inheritance, the laws of dividing someone's estate. Why is that the last halacha in Rambam? Now, in simple, we can say it's because you know all mitzvahs pertain to a person's life. You know, various different occasions in a person's life, occurrences that happen. Um, certain mitzvahs are not applicable when we're very young because we're not really that much involved and engaged with other people in a monetary way and so on and so forth. But yet, you know, there's an obligation to study Torahs from when you're a young child and so on and so forth, so those mitzvahs can go first. And eventually as we get older, get involved more in business, so there's financial things and so on and so forth, different other mitzvahs. Getting married, as we're getting a little, right? These are things that, and then finally, at the conclusion of a person's life, there becomes a question, what's with the person's uh, possessions? What's with their wealth? Ah, this is, only a, this is only applicable after the passing of a person. This is all the way, all the way at the end, post, what do they call it? Post-human, uh, post, I forgot, I just don't, <laughs> I see that word all the time. Post, uh, whatever. Okay, I'm not uh, too plurific in the English language. Although I pretend to in the classes, but... <laughs> In any case, um, so it's, it's only applicable after a person's death, after the passing of a person. And at that time, so therefore Rambam puts this mitzvah 
after at the last mitzvah because it's only at the end, end, end after a lifetime of mitzvahs. That can possibly be the explanation of why Maimonides puts this mitzvah as the last. It, it, it doesn't suffice. The reason the Rebbe says he doesn't like that answer. It doesn't really answer it. The reason it doesn't answer it is because there are other mitzvahs that the Rambam puts earlier that are also applicable only at the conclusion of a person's life. The mitzvah, for instance, of burying a person. And these mitzvahs are not put all the way at the end. They're close to the end, but they're not all the way at the end. Um, so how come it's dafka, the mitzvah of nachla, that it's put it in addition to that? The mitzvah of inheritance is not a mitzvah that is on the person. If the mitzvah would be pertaining to the person himself, um, like I say, this is the last thing you need to take care of. You need to take care of your possessions, your inheritance. You know, when a person is uh, you know, looking out, writing their will for what's going to be. This is like obviously at the, the, the latter period of your life. But that's not the mitzvah. The mitzvah is not at all, doesn't pertain to the person. The mitzvah pertains to the court. The court has to oversee that, that uh, the, uh, the possessions of a person, the inheritance, the estate of the person should be dealt with according to the Torah of who should be allowed to take possession of these possessions. It's, again, if you look in the Ramam, the, the law has nothing to do with the person who's dying. Shaharenu bedine nachlas. Here, this is what the Rambam says over here, um, but in other places he uses more the lashon that this is a a commandment regarding regarding the courts and regarding the living heirs, the living inheritors. They're the ones who are going to keep it. So it's so we're not and and that and that's during their life, not chas v'sholem after they die. That's during their lifetime. When their relative, uh, parent or the like, passes away, what are they going to do with? How are we gonna? Who, who come? Who has rights? How do you divide it? And so on and so forth. Firstborn gets double portion, whatever it is. But it's regarding people that are alive, not people who died. The mitzvah is on the base then. Regarding who? Regarding the living, not regarding the dead. So why would you put this mitzvah as the last mitzvah? So that's the question. The other question is. When the Rambam tells us, every mitzvah, when Rambam quotes, the, says the mitzvah, he first gives a short description of the mitzvah, and then he tells you, where do you find that mitzvah in the Torah? So the Rambam brings the source, as I mentioned, Pasha's Pinchas. But what does Rambam say? Ishkiyam is when a person dies, ubein ein loy, when he doesn't have a son. That's all the Rambam says, these words. In our Rambam, it says the word v'chulu. V'chulu means and etc., which means read the rest of what it says over there. In many of the girsis of Rambam, in the early printings of Rambam, it did not add this word v'chulu. That means it wasn't there in the Rambam's uh, writing. The Rambam just quotes the first words, which are now on the simple level. Now, here's the question. In these words, it doesn't say anything about inheritance. It just talks about a person dying and he doesn't have a son. That's it. We don't know what we're going to talk about at all. Maybe the fact that his wife, there is a mitzvah regarding a person dies without a son, that what? That his wife needs to marry, um, she can't marry someone else, she has to marry his brother, mitzvah siyibum. Okay? So we don't know anything from these words. It's only when we read the rest of the parsha. So why is the Ramam telling you these words as the mitzvah? 
these words don't give out anything about inheritance. We don't even know that we're going to talk about his financial, uh, his finances. We, we don't know at all. There is um, a girsa, meaning in some versions of the Rambam, say for a mitzvah, it brings the next words. You should take his inheritance and give it to his daughter. Ah, oh, so now you see, that's, that's what we're talking about. That makes sense. But that's not in the most versions of Ramam. It doesn't sta- state that. It just says the first words. So we need to understand now. Again, we could argue and say Rama means etc. He's just quoting the first words and he wants you to read the rest of the, of the portion. But again, as I mentioned earlier, Rambam does not say, at least in some of the versions and many of the, of the, of the texts that they had, old texts, it didn't say v'goymer. So therefore, it's likely to say that the Rambam doesn't mean the rest. He means those words itself. So we have to say that there is something content in these words itself that express the, the mitzvah of inheritance and why the mitzvah of inheritance is the last mitzvah, considered the last mitzvah. And meaning to say as follows, the fact that mitzvah of inheritance is the last mitzvah is because obviously this is the culmination of all of mitzvahs. The culmination of all of Torah and mitzvahs is to bring to the state of inheritance. The, 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 the concept and the state of inheritance in its truest sense is expressed in the words a person passes away and there is no son. We would think the opposite. The state of inheritance is brought out. A person dies and he has a son and the son is the heir to this father's estate, his father's possession. No, the real depth of inheritance is expressed in the words a person dies and there is no son. And it's for that reason, and that essence, that real, that concept, that idea of inheritance is, is the root, the truth of inheritance, as we're soon going to see. And that's what makes inheritance be the culmination of all of Yiddishkeit, of all of Torah and mitzvahs. And that's why the Ramah puts this as the, the last mitzvah, because in, 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 uh, when we truly appreciate the real deeper meaning of inheritance, especially in regards in our godly inheritance, we will understand how this is the culmination and the, where, where all of Torah and mitzvahs should hopefully and definitely lead us to this state of Yerusha. So to understand this, um, we will see that, in a sense, the fact that Rambam puts inheritance as the last mitzvah is pretty similar to the Shishi Sidra Mishnah. The order of Rabbeinu HaKadosh, again going back a thousand years before the Rambam, or maybe even more than that, you have Rabbeinu HaKadosh, Rabbi Yehuda Anasi, who is the first one who systemized and codified or recorded all of the oral law, and he gave us the book of Mishnah, the author of the Mishnah. So if you look after the six Siddharim, the six orders of Mishnah, into the very last tractate, and you get to the very last Mishnah. So the last Mishnah of Masechtis Uktsin is as follows. Also concludes with inheritance. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi. Rabbi Yeshua ben Levi says, 
Mishnah Yud Beis, Pere Gimel Mishnah Yud Beis. Asid HaKadosh Baruch Hu Lahan Chilachol Tzadik V'Tzadik. The Ebeshter, God, is going to inherit to every tzaddik, to every righteous individual, Shloish Meyois Vasara Oilamois, 310 worlds. Inheritance. Every tzaddik is going to inherit in the world to come. What? 310 worlds. Shenemar Lahanchil, to make to make inherit. Oyahavai to those, to my friends, to those who love me, or those that I love. Yesh, something. The word yesh is gematria, yud shin, 310. So Hashem is saying to give to those who I love, to all, who's that? That's all the tzaddikim. Remember, we say in Perkayavis now, all the Jewish people are tzaddikim. And what is the Abish going to give them? Yesh, something. What's the something that he's promising? The word yesh, 310. Shem is going to give 310 worlds, and their treasures, Amale, I will fill. That's the last Mishnah. Mishnah continues, but this is the last. So we see a parallel. Just like the Mishnah concludes with Yerusha, with inheritance, the inheritance of the tzaddikim that's going to be in the future, when Mashiach will come, in the future, Mashiach, the, the, the tzaddikim, the righteous, are going to inherit 310 worlds. Rambam too is, is concluding with inheritance. Again, it's not the book of Mishneh Torah. The book of Mishneh Torah, Rambam concludes with the, the status, the state of the world, the days of Mashiach, the laws of kings. But in the Sefer HaMitzvah, in Mitzvah, Rambam puts this as the last Mitzvah, similar to the Mishnah, which puts, speaks about inheritance. Now Rambam over here, in Mishnah, now in addition, Rambam wrote so much in his life. He wrote to the Guide to the Complex. And, but the first book the Rambam authored was a commentary on the Mishnah. He actually wrote it in Arabic. It was later translated into, uh, into Hebrew, into Lashon HaKodesh. So Rambam writes, why is this the last Mishnah? Rambam gives an explanation. So again, we always have to try to understand Rambam according to Rambam. So in, in, in the Rambam himself puts, why is this the last Mishnah? So Rambam says, in, in writing the Pirish Mishnah, so in the last Mishnah, because we concluded all the laws, like, like he has specified all the laws of all of mitzvahs, so he concludes the matter, with the reward. You do all, you learn Torah, you keep all the mitzvahs, in the end, you get rewarded. What's the reward? Is the inheritance. So these are the 310 worlds that are being given. Which the Rambam, by the way, explains. It says, three, what's the 310 worlds? It's the word yesh. It means the true connection to God. Yesh ha'amiti. Yesh means what's, 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 a, what's a real existence, what's true, what's absolute. Everything else is temporal. Everything else exists with a... You know, either it's here or it's not here. It doesn't have to be. The only real being is God. The 310 worlds means you get to connect to Hashem on the deepest level in a manner of yesh. You get the true being, the being of beings, your connection to Hashem. That's the Ramam's explanation. And that, as we're going to see, that's called inheritance. You inherit it. So, similar to that, we can understand when you keep all the 612 commandments, or rather, when you do 247 positive commandments, um, active commandments, 
So the 248th is about inheritance because inheritance expresses reward, the, re, the inheritance of, of the Jew in terms of Hashem, godly inheritance. But inheritance really is was, expresses, brings to the forefront the true destiny of the Jew, the destiny of observance, the destiny of a Torah life. What does it lead to? It leads to inheritance. So to understand this, what does an inheritance mean? Why is it so great? Why is this the culmination of all of Judaism? Inheritance. So we'll understand it based on our parsha. When the Torah talks about the mitzvah of inheritance, as I mentioned earlier, it comes in connection to the inheritance of Eretz Yisrael. When the Jewish people were coming into the land of Israel, and Hashem was going to give them the land. So, and then we have, as we mentioned earlier, the, 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 the story with the Tzlaf Chod, and they come, and, and then God gives the laws of inheritance. When Jews, which now, taking possession of the land is also called Yerusha. Yerusha Sa'aretz. The Jewish people got the land of, of Israel as an inheritance, as a nachla. Nachla means an inheritance, as a Yerusha. But we find an interesting thing. We find that the inheritance of Jewish people in the land of Israel, simply you can say it's an inheritance of who of our forefathers, Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. But it's really deeper than that. It's not just an inheritance of our fathers. Avram, Yitzhak, and Yaakov also got it as an inheritance. It's an inheritance of God. which doesn't make any sense at all because inheritance comes after the inheritor passes away and by God it's not possible even to have any form of inheritance to speak of God forbid an end to God's existence God forbid God is eternal so you can't even speak of inheritance but yet we're saying the land of Israel comes to us as an inheritance so obviously the essence of inheritance does not mean the passing of the inheritor we'll soon see what it means but what do we find? Regarding the inheritance of the land of Israel, the manner in which we receive the land is in a, is in three ways. It's, we connect to the land through three methods. You find in Parshas Pinchas. Number one, as I mentioned now, it's an inheritance. Number two, the Pasuk says, L'rav tarbe machlasai ulma'at tamet machlasai. To the one that has a lot, it means a large family or a large tribe, you give a, a large portion. A small family or a small tribe, actually it's a question amongst the commentators. Um, if this applies only to families within a tribe, or this applies also to the tribe itself, the division in accordance to necessity. What do we give? Everybody gets in accordance to what they need. A larger family needs a bigger portion. A smaller family needs a smaller portion. That's the second method. It's not, it's not inheritance. Because when you inherit something, it absolutely is irrelevant your state of affairs. It's not like the tribe, the basin says, 
Now, your father was a modest person, lived a simple life. He had a small little piece of land. There was enough for him. He had a little shack, a uh, little little cabin, and uh, he had maybe a, you know like a, uh, a tiny piece of land. But Baruch Hashem, Kenenahara, you have a large family, and you can't just inherit your father's time. So we're going to take a slice of your neighbor, of your father's neighbor's property as well. Doesn't work that way. You can't give the person more than what the father had. And if the father, for whatever reason, uh, had this massive land and the child really doesn't need it, he doesn't even have a family, he's a single boy, a single guy, never got married, doesn't have a family, he's alone, a simple person, doesn't need this, doesn't make a difference. The estate is the estate. It's not at all measured, it's not at all adapted to the condition of the, of the, of the heir, of the, of the inheritor, of the, the one who's inheriting. It doesn't make a difference. But in, so in Eretz Yisrael, what do we see? The land is given to us, number one, it's an inheritance. As we said before, inheritance has nothing to do with you. Number two, very much cut and tailored and designed in accordance to your needs, your, your size, family size, and so on and so forth. And there's a third element. They cast lots, which a lottery is based on luck. I speak. If you're, you're, you're throwing it, giving it over to something that's completely irrational, completely beyond logic, Whatever the lottery is going to choose, Eretz Yisrael was decided based on a lottery. So the taking of the land, according to that, comes out, we're connecting to the land in three methods, three different ways. We're inheriting the land. We are getting a chelek in the, in the land, what we call a chaluka. A chaluka means to divide based on some kind of rationale and some kind of reasoning. And as we said before, appropriating the land based on the necessity of those that are going to live in the land. And number three, by chance, whatever the lottery falls, a goyron. Now why did we need to take and receive the land through these various, through three different methods? What, 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 what could possibly be the reason? It would have been enough just to inherit the land. Why was it set in so, such a precision? Three elements in, in, in us taking possession of Eretz Yisrael. So we have to say that this expresses something very deep. You see, the Jewish people getting the land of Israel wasn't just because we need a place to live in. You know, the French have a country, they have France, the English, the British, England. You know, each, each place has. The Chinese have China, the Indians have India, India, so on and so forth. So every person, every, every, every nation has a land. The Jewish people need a land. So God gives them a little piece of land in the Middle East. That's not what it is. Eretz Yisrael is God's. It's his personal place. It's Hashem's Nachla. It's Hashem's portion. It's God's lot. It's actually called Nachla. The Pasuk calls it in Sefer Shmuel. It calls the land of Israel my Nachla, my, my, my place. The Pasuk in, in, in um, Parshas Ekev in Sefer Devarim says, um, 
the eyes of God is in the land of Israel. From the beginning of the year till the end of the year. It's God's prized, cherished, desired. Eretz Chefetz, the desirable land. Hashem is deeply connected. Since the Jewish people are also Hashem's inheritance, from all the nations in the world, God has a very deep connection with Israel. We belong to Him on a way, way beyond the relationship of Hashem in general to humanity. There is a very deep inner affection and love and attachment that the Jewish people are called the Eberter's Nachla. So therefore, we receive the land of God, which is the Nachla. Those the people that are the Hashem's Nachla, the nation that is God's Nachla, belong and live in the portion that's Hashem's. The Medrash actually says it very clearly. The Medrash says like this. Brings the Medrash over here. Um... This is a Tanchuma, Medrash Tanchuma, Parshas Re'e. It's also Medrash Rabbah Bamidbar. Omar HaKadosh Baruch Hu, God says, Yavoyu Yisrael, let the Jewish people come. Shabau Lechelki, they came, they ended up as my portion, as my, as my portion. V'yinchalu Esa'aretz, and they should inherit the land, Shabau Lechelki, that came to my portion. By the way, there's like this contention now. There's like, ooh, it's like it's, it's hit to easy. It's amazing, it's amazing, it's amazing. You see how deep these things are, how the world feels. It's amazing how the world feels, God. The world feels. Either you feel it in a positive way, you feel it in a negative way, but you feel it. It's like there's a the whole talk now on, on what they call annexation. It's not annexation. It's rightfully claiming what belongs to Israel, what has always been ours. But it hits such a raw nerve. The German, uh, first the German, uh, what is it? Um, uh, not prime minister, the minister of, uh, no? Foreign minister travels to Israel to warn Netanyahu on annexation. And then this one goes and also warns on annexation. And all, all the countries, and, the, and Jordan, and this one, and that one, and the Arab League, and uh, who else? Uh, everybody. Everybody's condemning. Uh, Russia is allowing or, 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 or very much endorsed Hamas and the Palestinians, or Fatah and the whatever, joining together in opposition against the annexation. Suddenly it becomes like, like God forbid that this should happen. What do you care so much? It's not the ordinary, uh, 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 what we call, uh, sense maybe of uh, injustice that is done to the Palestinians like would be with any other country. There's something very deep. And you see over here, Hashem says, that this land, this is my private land. This is my private land. Like a person goes and he shows you his private stash of, uh, of, of uh, you know, that he never uses, like his private stash or maybe uses of... of uh, of whiskey, you know, he has his private, like, like, you know, like $500 bottle, and he has it like, stick to it. this is an apple of God's eye, this is the land of Israel, this is so deeply connected to him. And God says, let the Jewish people, if they came to my land, they should live in this piece of real estate that's my private island, my private estate, where I do, that's not, it's not meant for the public, it's my own place. It's different than the rest of the geographic look, you know, of all of geography, all, all real estate in the rest of the world. It's up, you can sell it, you can buy it, this one can take it down. This is 
my place and it belongs to my people. Okay. Now, since we also have a different uh, uh, statement in the Medrash, the Medrash says like this: Yovoyu Yisrael Shenikro Nachla. Let the Jewish people come that they are called inheritance. La'aretz, they should come to a land, shenikra nachla, that's called inheritance. Ve'yivnu beis ha'mikdash, and they should build a temple, shenikra nachla, that's called a nachla. B'schus ha'toyrah, shenikra nachla. In the merit of the Torah, that's called nachla. So you see, the Jewish people, the Torah, the temple, the land, all called inheritance. Since our connection to the land is a consequence and is a result and, 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 and uh, because we're Hashem's Nachla, that's why we come to Eretz Yisroh, which is Hashem's Nachla, therefore we can understand that the manner in which we will connect to the land, which is not so simple, which is multifaceted, is because our relationship with God is multifaceted. Since our uniqueness, the uniqueness of the relationship of Israel and Hashem is multifaceted, exists on many prongs and on many levels, so, and via our connection to God, we connect to Israel, so our connection to Israel reflects the bond that we have with Hashem. Every method in which we take possession of Eretz Yisrael reveals, brings to the forefront another aspect of our connection to Hashem. So by looking at how we took possession of the land, we can understand the nature of the relationship, the nature of our bond to Hashem. And what, we, what did we say earlier? We took Israel, we, we took possession of the land of Israel three ways. One is a very logical one, in which it's divided based on everybody's needs, appropriated according to the 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 state of of that family, that person. Um, I mean, more of a rational kind of a connection. Then another connection to the land, which is in a manner of a lottery. Just anything can go. You whichever, whatever, whatever is going to fall into your lot, without any reason, without any explanation. It's yours. Just be quiet. Accept it because. So it was decided from above. Completely super rational. Goro. And finally, we receive it as an inheritance, which we're soon going to see the, the, the difference between these last two and what's so significant about the idea of inheritance. Because our connection to God is on these three levels. And we actually say it every morning in Davening. What do we say? Ashreinu, how fortunate are we? Matoyv chelkeinu, how good is our lot? Again, Ashreinu, how fortunate, matoyv chelkeinu, how good is our lot? Umanoyim, and how sweet and how pleasant, goyroleinu, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. Ashreinu, matoyv chelkeinu, how fortunate is our portion? Chelek, chelek comes from the word chaluka. Chaluka, or chaluka comes from the word chelek. Which chaluka means larav, tarbenach, splitting it according to certain size portions, the right size for the right individual. That's called chelek. Everybody's portion according to their size, according to their needs. Ashreinu matoyv chelkeinu, our connection to God, in a manner of chelek. Ma'noyim, how pleasant and how sweet, 
Goyer Oleinu is our lottery. When we took Eretz Yisrael, we, get, we connect to the land of Israel through a lottery. And the last one, Ma'yofa, and how beautiful. Yerusha Seinu is our inheritance. Yerusha. The last one that is mentioned, Chelkeinu, Goyeraleinu, Yerusha Seinu. Yerusha Seinu is mentioned last. You know why? Because it's the highest, it's the deepest. So the ultimate connection to God is our connection of Yerusha. And in, in the land of Israel too, we every single Jew gets the land of Israel in the manner of Yerusha because, it's, because we have Eretz Yisrael, we connect to Israel as a consequence of our attachment to God. And the highest and deepest element in our connection to Hashem is the manner of Yerusha. The union of Nachlas, we said earlier, Nachlas, the last mitzvah, because everything leads to uncovering the depth of the attachment, of the oneness of Israel with Hashem in a manner of Yerusha. So let's understand then the difference. What does this mean when we say in davening, we even have such geshmaka songs, such beautiful songs, bringing forth the ultimate praise that we praise God every day about how fortunate, how we lucked out. That God is our lottery, He's our inheritance, and He's our, and he's our portion. And the idea is as follows. So first, let's for quickly, do this very briefly, analyze the difference between portion, chelkeinu, and goyroleinu. It's similar to the difference between um, receiving something through an acquisition called a kinyan, to buy something, or receiving something as a present. Goyrol, receiving something in a man, through a lottery, is similar to the idea of acquiring something through a, pre, through a gift. You're a recipient of a gift. It means it has very little to do with you. A gift doesn't have... Uh, Got a gift, didn't work hard for it. Goral is that way, nothing to do with you. Because what you're getting is based on a lottery. Let's explain. When you are acquiring something based on, with, through an acquisition. Oh, that means you deserved it. Why do I have this house? I deserved it. How did I deserve it? I paid for it. Blood and sweat till I was able to save up. Save up, I've been working for 20, 30 years putting away dollar for dollar until I was able to put away money for a down payment and buy the house. And now I'm going to enslave myself for 30 years to pay the mortgage. But I earned it. I paid. The seller walks away with, you know, over here to buy a house over here, two and a half million dollars. The buyer brought him the money. I've earned it. Now it's mine. So I'm getting it based on my deservance. In this case, the financial deservance. I brought... I've outbid others. Others tried to get the house. They gave less. I gave more. I deserved it more than them because I was willing to give more. So let's translate that into serving Hashem, into our connection to God. God connects to us based on our outputs. How much we are, how much nachas we're bringing Him. How, much, how dedicated we are to Him. How much are we investing? You know, like this person invested in the house. He's willing to give two and a half million. The more a person is investing in their Judaism, the more diligent they are in their Torah study, the more devoted they are in their mitzvah observance, the deeper they pray, the more time they're giving over, the slower they're davening, the more concentration, the more avas Yisrael love for a fellow, the more selflessness they have, and so on and so forth. 
based on all this criteria, God will reciprocate. That's called Sarusa de Liela, Sarusa de Latata, that God's arousal from above is equivalent to our arousal from below. What we put out, what we invest, that's how our connection can. So Hashem is connecting to us via and as a consequence and triggered by our, by what we do. Obviously then, God's response to us is measured. Measured mean it's based on, based on us. So, and we understand that we're limited. So our connection to God as a result of our limited service, even though it's a limitless God at the other end, Hashem is responding and reciprocating from a limitlessness because He's limitless. But since He is being triggered by a limited stimulation, because no matter how much we do, we're still limited. And we all understand that we, in Judaism, it's always the rule. How good you did today, you can still do better tomorrow. Every day you got to break your record. That's the way it is. Every day you got to push, you got to push your boundaries. You got to move past and past and past and past. The very idea that means that I can do more tomorrow means what I did today is limited. Maybe today it was considered unlimited because it was more than I did yesterday, but still it's limited. And therefore the reciprocation is measure, what we call midah, midah keneged midah. Measure for measure. And that what that really means that what we are connecting to is a measured godliness, a limited godliness. Then there is idea of an, a gift. What's a gift? When someone gifts you something, and you didn't work for it, you didn't deserve it, they gave because they it's from their good heart. And then it's not measured to your earning, to your deservance. And maybe you only have you know, $50,000 in the bank, your life savings, and they just gifted you with a $3 million gift. The $3 million didn't, you didn't, you didn't earn it, you didn't. They, way above your capacity, way above your abilities, they decided to be nice and kind for whatever reason they gave you them. They gave you, give you the money, they bought you a home, they gave you the house, I don't know, whatever it is. So a gift is a connection between the same two individuals, and before it was the buyer and the seller. Here it is, the giver of the gift and the receiver of the gift. It's being transmitted. Something is being transmitted from one person to the other. But in this case, it's not measured in accordance to the capacity, and the abilities, and the earning, and the deservance of the recipient. It's just because of the giver giving. Obviously, we understand that means that it's from a more limitless place. Because once it's not dependent on you, your limitations are, are insignificant. No one's going to say, well, how come you're giving him a $3 million gift? They only have $50,000. Who cares? I'm giving him a gift. It's nothing to do with what they earned. I, I want to give. I want. I want. That's the idea. I want. Because of me, not because of them. So then I'm coming from a place that I'm coming from a more from a deeper self, from a more inner place in the gift. Similar to that idea. And, and so what does that mean in our relationship with God? In our relationship with God, Hashem loves us beyond what we deserve. Hashem gives us beyond what we earn. He's constantly giving us gifts. He gives us and He gives us and our connection to Him is not based always on earnings. And it's very important to remember that because sometimes we always think, you know, I didn't do so well, I feel uncomfortable davening and asking. No, ask God for a gift. 
The Ebishter gives gifts. God loves giving gifts. He's so good at it. He's gifting all the time. He loves giving presents. Don't ever feel that because you didn't deserve it, you shouldn't ask. He gives grants all the time. Not even He's not expecting payback. He's just giving endless. Because he loves you endlessly. Not because of you. Because he decided to love. Same concept. Similar to that is the concept of a lottery. Something that you're earning in a lottery means that your relationship to it is not based on reason, logic. Something needs to be given to you. Or you can get one, you don't know which one to take. So if it would be similar to uh, like a purchasing, then you would use your reasoning and say, this one fits me more than this. But a lottery means they're, they're equal. I have a bunch of, a few things I don't know, and I can only have one, let's say. So we cast a lottery, this is the one. Meaning it's unrelated to your condition. That's the idea. In that sense, it's similar to the concept of a gift. So we say how fortunate is our lottery. God connects to us beyond our deservance, our merit, our goodness, our spiritual stature, our devotion and our commitment. It's beyond that. Hashem's grace and Hashem's love is pouring down on us completely beyond any explanation. Similar to the concept that we speak about many times, Goyrol is the idea of Bechira. We say, us you chose. When Hashem chose us, choosing means He chooses just because He decides. It's not because of the virtue of the thing that He's choosing, or else it's not called free choice. We discussed this many times, I'm not going to get into it right now. When you ch- true choice is when you're choosing because you're choosing, not because it deserves to be choosing. Because if it deserves to be choosing and you're choosing because then you're being compelled because of the merits of whatever it is that you're choosing is compelling you to choose it. That's not called free choice. Free choice is you're choosing because you choose, because it's what you want. So God chose us. And that means that it's on His terms, it's much bigger than us, it's limitless, and it's infinite. And we have both elements in our relationship with Hashem. There is the idea of reward and punishment, which is the idea of measure for measure. And then there is God's infinite kind. Hashem's chesed. Hashem's chesed. He gives us kindness. Goyro. The relationship with the Jewish people with Hashem is in a manner of goyros, in a manner of without limitation. Now, we see this in um, we see this in uh, oh, so now let's take it a step deeper. This is very important. Let's take it a step deeper. Till now, we explained that the meaning of chelak. Chalkenu is is 
a relationship with Hashem based on our earning, based on our deservance. What kind of deservance? You deserve because of what you've done. We deserve based on our merits and our virtues and our good deeds and our earnings. But then there's something deeper and something higher. And that is, how about God's love to us because of who we are, not because of what we do. The relationship that we know, and we always bank, we're always bank, banking on this, is that God will not drop us. Why? Because we're His children. Kiyonu, Kiyonu banecha, we're your children. Ata avinu, you're our father. Avinu malkeinu, our father, our king. Malkeinu, that has to do with earning. Avinu, father, a child. A child is a child. A child deserves the father's love all the time, just because. Why? Because you're a child. So what is, what is the meaning, what is the child, the child-parent relationship fit in? Is that part of chelkenu, or is that part of goraleinu? Is that our, in a sense, we're children of God, it's a lottery. We, we didn't work on that, we just, we lucked out to be his children. Or maybe that's part of Chelkeinu. Now it's interesting, in Tanya, when he talks about that the Jewish souls are children from God, this is right in the beginning of Tanya, he mentions the idea that Jewish souls are, chil are children, your children from Hashem. He mentions the idea of the Neshama being a Chelek Elokeimimal Mamish. A piece of God from above, a portion of God. So we see from here that being a child is related to the relationship of chelkenu, What does that mean? Why do you love your children? What do you, there's no reason why you love your children. But why do you love? You love your children because they're your child. So why do you love your child and not the other kid? I mean, you can love the other kid too, but not in any way, the way you're not going to kill yourself to pay the tuition of the other kid you're going to kill yourself to pay the tuition of your child because it's your child but why do you love it? because this is your child now if the child is your child what does that mean? If they, are your, they have your DNA that's what it means so it's because they have a part of you but it's because of who they are you love them because of what? you love them because of them you're loving your child because of the child. The child deserves to be loved. Why does the child deserve to love? On a lower level, in a lower level relationship, the object, person, entity deserves to be loved because of what they do, not because of who they are. With a child, it's not because of what they do. The earning of your love, the deservance of the love is not because of what they do, but because of who they are. But after everything is said and done, why do you love them? You love them because of them. In that sense, choosing is higher than that. Because when you're choosing something, as we said earlier, the real element of choice is to choose something just because you decide it, not because of it demands. And therefore, a true, when it's really a choice, goes even deeper than children. A true element of choice. You choose because in choice, it's not about the thing that is 
chosen, it's just about the chooser. And therefore, choice is associated with your essence. You are choosing. This needs more explanation, but it's not for now, because it'll be too much. Just, just, and we discussed this in other times. So as high as children is, it's still part of chelek. Chelek means, because I understand something. Whenever, especially when we're dealing with God, I think it be, with, with humans it's, it, 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 it's also true, but you can see it much clearer when you're dealing with... If Hashem is loving us because of us, because of who we are, so after everything said, even when the is so holy, it's a piece of God. But it's a piece. As great as it is, there is still a limitation to it because there is Hashem Himself and there is the peace of God. So the value has a certain, has a limit to its value in the fact that it's being loved because of it. As, as soon as there is an it, that is, already, that is already limiting. There is already an it. And the love is the attachment is based on and a consequence of the it, of how much value there is to the it. Yes, the it is, 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 is way beyond all of creation because all of creation is only creation and this is a piece of God. But it's still a piece. In a sense, a piece separated from Him. Once it's separated and it's, it already limits it by being it. And that's why we say that when God chooses us, but choosing is, it's not about it. I'm choosing, I'm choosing you because I want. So it's rooted in self. It's rooted in Him. He is limitless. So His choice is limitless. So His connection to it is from a place that's, that's ain't self. Because, let me put it this way. There is a... A, a, a pasuk that says because the truth is regarding God can and we say that God loves us because we're his children but that means he's a father oh what's wrong with God being a father nothing wrong he, but is he really a father or he chooses to be a father Hashem chooses to be a father he himself is beyond being a father because being a father is already a definition so the love that he has for us because we're his children is from kind of the level where he becomes a father. He lowers himself down. He assumes the state of a father. And it's very real once he assumes that state. But he's still assuming that state, which means he's stepping out or away from his true being that is not defined by any definitions into the role and into the state of father. And as a level of father, we're his children. So it's a little bit on the outside compared to what? To him before he's father. Now do we relate to God before he's father? Yes. He chooses us. What does he choose? He chooses that we should be his children. And from where is the place where he... And, and once he's... When we say he's choosing that we should be his children, the choice is in him himself. That's why it says that the real element of choice is not so discernible in the neshama. Because the neshama, you can say God loves it because of the neshama. The real idea of choice is when God loves our body, the Jewish body. That's what the Alter Rebbe says, Ubanu Bacharta, God chose the Jewish people, and He chose our body. The body has no deservance, doesn't earn. The body is not special because it's special. 
It's only special because God chose this to be a Jewish body. And that's why in the body there's something higher in the fact that its connection to God is completely unrelated to us. It's completely related just to Hashem. So we find this idea. So again, let's go back for a moment. So what is that telling us? That one that Chelkeinu includes, we say that Chelkeinu includes every element of the relationship that's based on us because of us. Either because of what we did, because of our achievements and our accomplishments and our devotion and dedication and mitzvahs and good thing, goodness and cuteness and whatever it is else that, that is dear to us that makes us desirable to God. Chelkeinu also includes God's loving us because of who we are, that we're His children. But again, that's a love based on the chelek, on the peace. Then there's something deeper, which we say, Goyrolainu. Goyrol means beyond reason because He chooses. It's not rooted in us, it's rooted in Him, it's infinite. We have a Pasuk that explains very well these two dimensions. I understand something, that the connection of God from a level of Goyrolainu is infinitely higher then it's connection to us because of who we are. Because if it's because of who we are, again, that's already a definition. To love us because of no reason, just because of Him, that's, that's, that's Him, that's Ein Sof. That's not limited, it's not defined. Much deeper. Indescribably deeper. Now, let's take that one, one, one more. And, and this is expressed in a Pasuk. There's a Pasuk that says, Ki am kadosh Hashem You are a holy people to God. Somewhere in Deuteronomy, in, in Devarim. You are a holy people to Hashem. Hear this Pasuk. Hashem is talking about why we're so special to Him. He says, Ki Because you're a holy people. Bachar Hashem. And in you God chose. What is the second thing? Bachar Hashem. And in you He chose. We're a holy people. I don't know. We're a holy people means we have a holy soul. We are a godly, the rest of the world is creation. You are a piece of me. You have my DNA, God says. You're a holy people. And you do such holy things. First of all, what we're, the holiness that we accomplish in our doing. But in addition to that, who we are, you're holy. And Rashi says that holiness comes from your forefathers. That's because we have Avram Yitzhak, we have a holy neshama, a godly soul. Then goes deeper to that. And in addition to that, God chose you. Choosing because so he wants, not based on not based on our quality, even the essential quality of being a child. His choice. He's choosing us. That's on that's completely rooted in him. And that's not limited. In a sense, we can say, as much as he is God, he's choosing us. In, in, in as deep as he goes into him, he's choosing us. So now we understand. Chelkeinu, Goraleinu. But above that all, above that all, deeper than all that, higher and deeper, is even greater than that. Mayofa Yerusha Seinu, how beautiful, how beautiful is our Yerusha. What does that mean? In both the relationship of Chelkeinu and Goraleinu, they share something. In both cases, God is relating to something other than himself. Let's go back to a present and um, an acquisition, a sale and a, and a gift. 
In both cases, there are two parties. There is a seller and there is a buyer. There is a giver of the gift, a bestower of the gift, and a beneficiary of the gift, the receiver of the gift. What's the difference? In both cases, there's a transaction between two entities. The difference is, in, a, in an acquisition, the cause of the transaction is the recipient. In a gift, the cause of the transaction is not the, the recipient, is the giver. Why am I giving you? Because I want. So there's a certain higher element in the I am giving. But in both cases, you're moving outside of yourself. Obviously, you're selling, you're selling something to another. Or in the relationship we said before between God and us, because, 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 why? Because we are so good, because we did so many wonderful things, because we're so special. Oh, that's why he's connecting to us. He loves us. He loves some. He loves us. Deeper, because we are his children. That's why he loves us, his children. There's a child and there is a father. There's a parent and there is a child. The parent loves the child. They're very deeply bonded, but still one to the other. Deeper than that. He made a choice. Goyrelenu. But even in a choice and even in the lottery, you're still choosing. In a lot of it, you're choosing something. I don't know which one to choose. So I'm throwing it up to something beyond me, let it come from above. In a sense, same idea like choosing something for no reason at all just because you chose it. So it's rooted in you, but you're still choosing something. Because you're choosing something, and because it's a relationship, because it's a movement, it's a step away of who? Of your core, core being as you stand completely for yourself in your very quintessential being as you are in a non-excited state to the outside. Just being, just being. Nothing else but yourself. Without any movement. Does that, do we relate to God as God is at his, let me put it this way, at his bare bones? God's very bare bones, if you can say God. I'm scared to say those words, but that idea. His, 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 his quintessence. His very, very essential being of beingness. Do we connect Hashem to that level? Well, that's the idea of inheritance. How does inheritance work? Inheritance does not mean a transfer of property. A gift is a transfer. A sale is a transfer. It belonged to A, now it goes to B. The reason of why it's going to A to B is different, but it's still, in, 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 a, in a sale, it's moving from A to B because of B, and in a gift, it's moving from A to B because of A. But it's still moving, there's a transfer. How does inheritance work? Inheritance works the child, the inheritor, is the parent. There's a Pasuk in Tehillim. Tachas In the place of your parents will be the children. The child, in, nothing moved. Why is the child getting the father's estate? Not because it was transferred to him. The child gets the father's estate because... He is the father. 
As long as the father is alive, the father is there, father. Now that we don't see the father, the child is the father. He is the continuation. He is the continuation of the father. He is the extension. He is the parent. And therefore, nothing, nothing moved. The possessions didn't move. Because he is the father, then everything that belongs to the father belongs to him. It's a consequence. Because you are him, so everything that belongs to him is yours. But there's no two. There's no movement from one to two. To the second, nothing moved. It, everything remained in its place. That, that's why they're actually according to the, the, the Rogachev, as I um, by the way, this is how the Rogachev explains Yerusha, but I think someone else, maybe the Rosh, I'm not sure, says that the, the Rajba maybe, that really Yerusha does not happen after death, it happens at the, at the moment of the passing. Because after, because what's what Because the passing is father, son, and now they're one at that point. Nothing, there's no interruption. If it's an interruption, then it has to go from one possession to the next. It's no, no interruption. It's just, it, 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 it's instant because it's, because it's not moving. It, it, it just remains. That's the idea of Yerusha. And our relationship with God, it means deeper than every aspect of, of God choosing us and loving us because of this, because we're His children, because at the very, 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 understand what we're talking about at the very core 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 where God is God you can't go any deeper than God is being God at the very very ancient inner core of 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 true substance of substance true 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 doesn't get any truer than this deeper than this core essential than this at the very without any ex over there Jew, the Jews and the Jew and Hashem are one Yisrael Yerusha. We inherit God because that's because we are Him. We take Eretz Yisrael as a possession of Yerusha because it uncovers that in our connection to Hashem we are Him. And that's amazing the reason why when Rambam wants to tell us about the mitzvah of Nachla the Rambam uses which pasuk? When a person dies and he doesn't have a son. Why is he bringing those pasuk from the mitzvah of Nachla? Because that exp- those words itself express the idea of Nachla. The idea of Nachla in its truest meaning as it applies to God is on a level where there is no son. That's the idea. Don't, don't focus so much on the dying. Let's focus on the idea that there is no son. We said earlier, when does Hashem have a son? When he moves out of himself to call himself a father. To have a certain a certain form as a father, then he has a son. Or as we said earlier, on an even deeper level, he chooses to be a father. But he's still choosing something. He's choosing a relationship. But this is even prior to the choice. He's just himself before any movement on the outside. Ben Ainloy, there is no son. There's nothing. There's only him. That's where Yerusha is. Because Yerusha is when it's only him, it's you because you and him are one. What does it say in the end of Masechtis, the last Mishnah we mentioned earlier? The Ebishter is going to give. doesn't say to give. To inherit. Every tzaddik. 310 words. What did we say from the Rambam? What is 
the word, why 310? Because it's the word yesh. The real yesh, the real substance, before any story. No story ever began. There's no story, there's no history, there's no unfolding, there's no desire, there's no want. There's nothing, there is just the absoluteness, the, qu the beginning of beginnings, the source, the root of root, the essence of essence. And over there, what? That's yesh, that's, the real, that, that's what really is. Before there was even a want, a desire, a move outward, nothing, just him. That's yesh. How do we get that? That's Yerusha, because the only, on that level, only if you're a Yerush, Yerush means you're him. As we said before, the child and the father is one. Not as, not as child. It's just him. What's the conclusion of all of mitzvahs? This level. In a sense, we can say that the Rebbe says something so. Again, you know, see, talking so much about Mashiach. And no one ever revealed. This is Torah. This is a different kind of Torah. No one ever revealed this. It's not. It's not. Oh, it's not. It's not a fantastic teaching of Kabbalah. Huh? Only the final leader of the Jewish people gets to appreciate and reveal the deepest inner final expression of the relationship. Highest. I'm not going to call it expression because it's not an expression. The final truth, the deepest truth of the relationship. Where the Lubavitcher Rebbe is the one who reveals this. What is he saying? He says that in our relationship with God, we go through these three state, these three connections. Chelek, um, Yerusha, I'm sorry, Chelek, Goral, and Yerusha are three stages in history as well. Before the giving of the Torah, we were already Chelkeinu, we were already his lot. Why? Because we said before, Chelkeinu is associated with the fact that we deserve. Why does God love Avram Avinu? Because he deserved it. He passed 10 tests. He was such a nice guy. He was awesome. Avram Avinu was the sweetest person. And finally, God had someone he can love. An unbelievable tzaddik, a good kind. Yitzchak, oh, impeccable. Yaakov Avinu, perfect of perfect. But even deeper than that, they were God's children. They had holy neshamas. The Jewish people were called children of God. Yidin were called children of Hashem before the giving of the Torah. That's why by Yitzhak Mitzrayim, Hashem says, my, let my child out, B'ni B'chari is or his children. Because that, that has to do with our neshama, because of our quality of soul. So God loves Israel. He loves them like a father loves a child. That's even before the giving of the Torah. By the giving of the Torah, well, we moved into phase two in the relationship, much deeper and much higher. God reveals that He chooses us. By Matan Torah, Vanu B'chartan, you have chosen Meaning he's engaging and connecting to us on a much, or revealing, it's, it's not about starting something new, he's uncovering a deeper strata of the relationship. He's saying, I love you not because of who you, your qualities, because then again, as we said before, it's measured to our qualities. Even, the, even, the, even this awesome quality of being a child, that's also, I love you because of you. I love you because of me, I choose. And that's why he gave us Torah and mitzvahs. And the quality of Torah and mitzvahs that we have after the giving of the Torah, over the mitzvahs before the giving of the Torah, the mitzvahs before the giving of the Torah were virtuous because of the virtue of the mitzvah. Tzedakah was meaningful because of how good tzedakah is. 
After Matan Torah, it has nothing to do, after the giving of the Torah, it's nothing to do with the virtue because how much tzedakah, how much goodness it's accomplishing. After Matan Torah, tzedakah is special because God chooses tzedakah, because it's His mitzvah, because it's Him. And the value of the mitzvahs then are infinitely beyond because it's not based on any of their merit. It's just because it's Anak. It says by Matan Torah, no nafshi. I'm giving you my soul. It's me, God. I choose it. I choose you. I choose Torah and mitzvahs. And therefore the mitzvahs of the giving of the Torah have an infinite potency more than before. That's the idea of goral, goraleno. But when Mashiach will come, we will realize that we were... Ne- <laughs> that the Jewish people are Him. The level of Nachla is going to be revealed. And we're holding at that stage right now. It's going to be revealed how Hashem and the Jewish people are just, we are Him, not a child, not received. And therefore, His pleasure is our pleasure. That's, why, that's the, reward of, the reward of Torah and mitzvahs, is not that God is going to give us, put us on a, on a, give us a thrill ride, take us to amusement park, and give us all kinds of amusements. We're going we're gonna to experience Him because we are Him. His enjoyment of a mitzvah is our enjoyment. It will uncover how, we are, how, how Hashem and the Jewish people are one. That's the idea of machla. That's going to be revealed after Mashiach. That's why that's the conclusion of all of Torah and mitzvahs. To uncover that state of just, of Yidin and the Ebersh one. That's the reason why it's the last mitzvah. And that's why the Ramam emphasizes, as we said earlier, which part of the Pasuk? Ben Einloi, where there is no son, where there is no otherness. It's just him, and yet, we, the Jewish, we and Hashem. Hashem, not in a manner of we and Hashem. Just, nothing to say, just. That's revealed when Mashiach comes. We're heading to this awesome time. Let's 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 prepare ourselves. Let's prepare ourselves for this. Thank you. May we merit to see it now. Chaim.